Thank you, Brother Tim. We'll be in uh, the book of Leviticus, chapter 10 tonight. Leviticus, chapter number 10 in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter number 10. I know it's weird to preach out of the book of Leviticus, I know. But trust me, there's good stuff in there. Leviticus chapter number 10, that's where we'll be tonight. You know, a Sunday school teacher posed a, a question to her, her class and said, um, if I were to sell my, my house and my car and donate all of my possessions to charity and give all my money to church, would I get into heaven? She asked her, her kids in her class uh, that question. And all the kids together said, no. So the teacher asked them, she smiled, she asked them again, if I were to keep the church clean and, and mow the lawn and keep everything neat and tidy, then would I get into heaven? And they all shook their head, no. Once again, uh, and, and, and then the teacher kind of got a confused look on her face and she said, well, well then how do I get to heaven? And a really quick-witted five-year-old boy piped up and says, you have to be dead. I thought that was pretty clever. How, uh, how do we approach the throne of heaven? How do we approach God? How do we approach worship? And uh, we get a, a pretty good lesson on that in the book of Leviticus chapter number 10. And we're going to look at that tonight, uh, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they, de they died before the Lord. Moses said unto Aaron, This is it. That the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Can we pray once more tonight? Father God in heaven, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through, uh, through this, your word tonight. Lord, if there's any sin in me, please forgive it. Cleanse me. Speak through me tonight. And I just pray that you would speak through your word. And give us what we need to hear tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Leviticus chapter 10 is, is what I would call um, a difficult passage. It, it really doesn't provide us with a lot of context and a lot of detail. Especially in those three verses. It kind of assumes that we understand some things. Uh, some, some cultural knowledge on the part of the reader or at least that you were paying attention up until this point. Uh, and, and there's a lot of little details to note uh, in the book of Leviticus up until chapter 10. So uh, I'm going to ask that we back up just a couple of verses so we can get a little context here. Would you just look up in chapter 9, those last two verses, starting in verse 23. The Bible says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation. Okay, so we know the tabernacle's there. It's already there. Um, and, and came out, Moses and Aaron came out and blessed the people. Now just, don't just read this. Imagine seeing this take place. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. Now, 
I need you to, to go with me and understand what's happening here. Because, I mean, you remember the whole scene where Moses goes up into the mount and God speaks to him and Moses comes down and, and God's glory is passed on to Moses and he has to wear a veil and, and God is separated from the people. And God told Moses, they can't come up here. You don't let them come. They can't even touch the mountain. You don't let them pass this point. Only you. And, and then God says, things are going to change. You're going to build a place for me to dwell. And my presence is now going to be among my people. You're going to build a tabernacle. And I am going to abide with you now. I mean, this was a big deal. God was coming down to abide among his people. This was a very special time in Israel's history. Look at, look at verse 24. Okay, so the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people, and there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and they fell on their faces. What a scene, what a moment. What a special time. This would have been Aaron's uh, first offering. He had made a, a sin offering and offerings for the people. And this was, this was really kind of like God's stamp of approval. I accept that. Just, just a beautiful moment. And then things take a turn. I want you to see tonight, number one, the brazen men. The brazen men. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. It says, again, look with me in verse 1, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. In order for us to, to truly catch what's, what's going on here, I think it's helpful for us to note a few things. Number one, who were these men? Number two, what were they doing? When were they doing it? And where were they doing it? Uh, the tabernacle had been constructed. We've established that. The, the priests had been appointed and instructions had been given. The high priest had some very specific jobs that only the high priest, Aaron, was meant to do. The priests, Aaron's sons, they had certain specific jobs that they were to do. And the people of Israel had certain roles to fulfill in all of that as well. Some uh, commentators have, have speculated here. Um, and and I, I just wanted to, to, to walk through this. And if you, if you were to take a look at the tabernacle, if you were to look at the tabernacle... Uh, from above, we've, we've got an image of that. If you were to take a look at the tabernacle from above, this is, this is just kind of a, a, a rough uh, idea of what you would see. And uh, they would essentially, let me turn this thing on, uh, they would essentially, the sacrifice would be offered here, okay, on the brazen altar. This is the laver where they would wash up, okay. 
uh, and, and all the messy business takes place over here. So the people would bring their sacrifice. The priests prepare it. This is where it is burnt. But when there's a, 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 an incense offering, okay, a priest would, would take a, a, a censer, which is basically a container, a metal container, and they would take the embers from off of this and they would place them in that censer. And then they would carry the censer in here into the holy place. Because inside the holy place, you have the altar of incense. And they would take that incense and place it on those embers. The embers that were created by the burnt sacrifice. And then that fire that was provided there by God would burn the incense. And that, that was commanded by God. That was a, a sweet smell to him. And... And again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some information here that, uh, that some commentators have, have, have given us. And there's some differing opinions here, but I think it's still interesting to note. Um, some say that Nadab and Abihu were actually fulfilling a role that was meant for the high priest. And depending on which scriptures you, lo you look at and exactly how you interpret that, you could take that a couple of different ways. But if you look at Exodus chapter 30 or Leviticus chapter 16, Nadab and Abihu had no business doing what they were doing on this day. Uh, they were initiating a duty that they were never meant to perform. Uh, the offering of incense was a ceremony that was instructed by God. And when you read in Exodus 30 and Leviticus 16, it says Aaron was meant to do that. It was a job for the high priest. Now, later on, there are instances where it says the priest can do that. So, again, I don't want to, I don't want to fixate on that. I'm just sharing, you with that, sharing that with you. Um, the bottom line is, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they knew what they were doing. Because God had given some very specific instructions in the previous chapters and said, this is what I want you to do next. And that's not what Nadab and Abihu were doing. This was not ignorance on their part. This was, I think we should do it this way. Okay? This was no accident. And you also have to understand that this was the first offering. Aaron, Aaron was offering the, the, giving the very first sin offering. And this was a continuance of that. They were setting a precedent for how God would be worshipped among the people. Now, Numbers chapter 16, you don't have to turn there. I want you to stay in Leviticus, but I've got it up on the screen. Numbers 16, verse 46. Moses said unto Aaron, unto Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So that's just another instance we see in, later in Numbers of who is supposed to do it, where and how. But the last straw that we see mentioned here specifically in the verse is the words, strange fire. Strange fire. And I think this is included because this is what God really wants us to see. God doesn't list all the things that I just told you about. He says, because strange fire. 
This is the reason that they were consumed by fire. And until we understand that, you kind of read that passage and, and it's almost in the back of our minds like, Lord, that seems kind of harsh. You know what I mean? Why was the fire strange? Was it unusual and out of place, like the, the burning bush that wasn't consumed? Was it, I don't know, was it weird and green? Did it smell funny? What was it that made this fire strange? Pastor always gets nervous whenever anybody lights anything on fire in church. There's a history there. But I, I, you, can just, you can just imagine that, you know, these guys went off to the side and just said, that's too much trouble. And they just lit their own. I just think it's funny how matches have such a distinct, you can smell them, can't you? Matches have such a distinct smell. And um, there are, there are good, good smells and bad smells. And uh, sometimes you can smell something burning. And um, have, you ever, have you ever burnt popcorn before? There was a guy in our college dorm that used to burn popcorn literally every time he made it. I mean, he'd put it in there for like 10 minutes and then go do something else. Oh, it's the most awful smell. But then there's a good smell, like when your wife is baking fresh cinnamon rolls or an apple pie. And the glory of the Lord fills the house. <laughs> That's a good smell. Did it smell funny? Why is the fire defined as strange? Well, if you look up that word strange and, and how it appears in that verse, it means that it was foreign, it was from another place. It was profane. It wasn't what was set aside for this purpose. They got it from somewhere else. Well, where were they supposed to get it? They were supposed to get it from the brazen altar. That's where they were supposed to get it. What was this fire? Why was it so important that they get it from the altar? All right, let me ask you another question. What exactly was the fire that first appeared to Moses in the burning bush? What exactly was the fire when there was a pillar of fire in the wilderness leading the children of Israel? What was it? Why did God insist over and over and over in the book of Leviticus, chapter 6, verse 9, command Aaron and his son, saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because the burning upon the altar all, not, uh, all night unto the morning and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. Look at verse 12. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it it shall not be put out. Look at verse 13. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. You see, that fire was sent from God. And that fire was not only the symbol, but it, it was the presence of God Himself. It was the presence of God Himself. So in the act of, 
of bringing the sacrifice to the fire, they were literally approaching God with their sin. They were taking it to him and saying, God, I can't, I can't fix this. And I need to give it to you. Every time. I need your grace. Because only he can forgive sin. And when Nadab and Abihu brought their own fire, they were bringing their own solution. They were bringing their own God to deal with sin. They were bringing profane fire and substituting God himself. And see, God doesn't seem so harsh now when you understand what's actually happening. Exodus chapter 20, and you know the verse, verse 2. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And, and verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. And we usually stop there and we just imagine how the children of Israel for some reason had this tendency to make statues. But it goes on to say, Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You see, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. Paul Tripp said, your ears listen for what your heart craves. Your ears listen for what your heart craves. We must be willing to ask ourselves, who or what is the real God of my life? And we must be willing to answer that question honestly to ourselves. Perhaps we even create our own version of God, accepting the parts of Him that we like, but then choosing to ignore the parts that we don't. And what do we do when we do that? We bring our own fire. Not only do we see the brazen men in this passage of Scripture, but we also see the burnt meat. The burnt meat. Would you look with me in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 16? We're going to jump down just a little bit. The Bible says in verse 16 of Leviticus chapter 10, And Moses diligently sought the goat of the sin offering. And behold, it was burnt. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, which were left alive, saying, Wherefore have ye not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, seeing it is most holy, and God hath given it you to bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? It would seem that Moses could tell that the entire goat had been burned upon the altar as opposed to just a portion of it because that would have been the normal practice for the sin offering. There would have been a portion of it offered on the altar and then part of that meat was given to the priest and they were to sprinkle the blood uh, on, the, on the horns of the brazen altar and take it into the holy place and there consume it. So Moses could tell, wait a minute, I can tell you guys burn up a whole goat right there. Something's off. There's no, there's no blood on the horns. 
And keep in mind, this is, we're in the same chapter. We are right on the heels of Aaron's other two sons being consumed by fire by God for not doing the sacrifice properly. Moses is already a little bit on edge. Okay, He's dealt with these people for a while now. So I can just imagine Moses walking in. What did you guys do now? Verse 18. Behold, the blood of it was not brought in within the holy place. Ye should have indeed have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. So here's Moses. I told you. Verse 19. And Aaron said unto Moses, Behold, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And such things have befallen me. And if I had eaten the sin offering today... Now look at this line. Should it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? And when Moses heard that, he was content. Now again, I'm just, I'm just being transparent with you. I read this and I'm like... That don't make a lot of sense. Why was Moses satisfied at that answer? You know what, I'm, you know what I mean? I, I don't understand why Moses was upset and then it's like, oh, okay, we're good. So I think it's important that we look at this. What was the sin offering? What was the sin offering? Okay, the sin offering was something that was commanded by God. It was a regular observance. It was something that was scheduled. You do this. This is how often. This is what day. This is how you do it. And it was for sin in general, okay? It was actually for unintentional sins. It was like, oh, I, oh, I didn't mean to do that. You know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't the, um, I went to Walmart and decided I didn't want to pay for anything, so I stuck it in my pocket. That's an intentional sin. It was an unintentional sin, and it was sin in general for all the people. So the priest would offer it and say, we're a sinful people. We know we've committed unintentional sin, so we're going to do this. Um, and it was not, not high-handed, not, not thought-out sins, um, but this was one of the offerings that was not a sweet savor to the Lord. You read about some of the other ones, like the, the, the peace offering, and it says it was a sweet savor unto the Lord. It was pleasing to Him. That was the cinnamon rolls. Okay? The sin offering wasn't the cinnamon rolls. The sin offering was, there's something wrong with my transmission. This smells awful. Okay? A portion of a goat was offered on the brazen altar, and a portion would have been eaten in the holy place by the priests. Okay? Now, Eleazar and Ithamar were Aaron's other sons. They were the ones who were not consumed. Moses was surprised because he, get, he, had te- he could tell they hadn't properly offered the sin offering, and it was time for them to do so. Okay, so in Moses' mind, he's thinking, we're doing the sin offering, and you guys didn't take the rest of the goat into the holy place and do this right. There's a problem. Y'all aren't paying attention to the instructions again, just like your brothers who were just scorched on the ground. Um, He had specifically told them, if if you go back and read, uh, verse 12 through 15, he literally specifically spelled out the instructions to them again. And says, okay, you're going to take the goat, you're going to take the meat, you're going to go in the holy place, you're going to eat it, this is what you're going to do. 
Okay? He is rehearsing the instructions with him again because he was like, don't mess this up. So they would, have eaten, they would have eaten it in the holy place. Now, that was the sin offering. Now, what was the burnt offering? Because you remember, what did it say there? Aaron said to Moses, Behold, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering. So what was the burnt offering? The burnt offering was optional. It wasn't a required observance. It wasn't God saying, I command you to do this. This is how often. This is where. This is how. God said, if you offer a burnt offering, this is how you do it. And this is, this is what it is. The burnt offering was an optional offering. It was freely given out of desire. And it was an expression of worship. An expression of worship. The burnt offering was a sweet savor. To the Lord. Fresh apple pie. A sweet savor to the Lord. The burnt offering indicated total surrender to God. Total surrender. We're not keeping back any part of this animal. The entire thing goes to God. Nothing held back. So why didn't... Aaron, eat it. The people specifically requested that this sin offering also be freely and wholly given as a burnt offering. The extra portion was given to the Lord. And you notice in that closing verse, it says, And when Moses heard that, he was content. You know, so many times in Scripture we come across a word that we read in our Bible, and you guys know that this book, sometimes the, the English words in this book don't mean today what they meant when they were written. And you read that word content. And for me, that's like, okay, I've eaten enough. You know what I mean? I'm content. Um, but... There's an interesting meaning here. Because when it says, when Moses heard that he was content, that word content, his countenance changed. Literally translated, it means his eyes were a fountain. He was happy, it sounded beautiful. It's almost as if Moses reached this moment and he's like, they got it. They got it. I want you to see number three tonight. The biblical message. The biblical message. Not just the brazen men, not just the burnt meat, but the biblical message. Because, you see, this is not simply a historical account for our knowledge. It's not just so you and I can know more about the Bible. There is a message here for you and I to take to heart. God left this in here, not so you and I could learn how to offer the burnt offering. We don't approach God by the same methods. We must realize that up until this point, God didn't dwell among His people. This was a time of first, but God is teaching us 
God is teaching us in these passages how to approach him and how to abide in his presence. So here we have two instances where God's people approach him. One approach is rejected. And one is beautifully accepted. But neither one of them is at least seemingly by the book. So let's just look at these two events and compare them, okay? So you got Nadab and Abihu. Now these guys were at least seemingly, you know, I've never met them, but they were seemingly presumptuous. Problem number one, they were offering to God on their terms. On their terms. It wasn't, okay, we're going we're gonna to follow what God requested by the letter. It was, this looks like what God asked, but we're going to do it our way. Problem number two, now I do believe that they were sincere in their desire. I, I actually believe they wanted to be good priests and offer something to God. But I don't believe they were sincere in their motives. They sincerely wanted to offer to God, but they were doing it for the wrong, from the wrong posture. In other words, God was lucky to have them. God would be grateful for whatever they would give him. And it's okay if we take some liberties here because... We know how to do this, God. You know, it sounds kind of ridiculous when you put it that way, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. Now let's allow that truth to seep into our hearts for just a moment. Do we not find ourselves treating Almighty God the same way on occasion? God will be grateful for whatever we give him. Our leftovers. Our, if I can make it. Instead of giving him our very best, our first fruits, and our spotless lamb. I know I've been guilty of it. But then... You have the burnt meat. You have Eleazar and Ithamar. And we don't really know much about them. In fact, they seem like pretty subdued guys. But they were offering to God on his terms. On his terms. Even though they deviated from what Moses expected, they stayed within God's commands. Even in this incident, the worship was God-centered, not self-centered. They did nothing to violate God's law in that entire process. They stuck with it. I wonder if we could ask ourselves tonight, how is my worship? Is it, is it God-centered or sometimes is it self-centered? What, what do I mean by that? Do the conditions have to meet my preferences in order for me to worship God? Does the music have to be my favorite style of song? Do I have to be able to sit in my seat? 
Does the temperature in the room have to be just right? Does, the, does my level of worship depend on how entertaining the speaker is today? When, I'm, when we look at Leviticus chapter 10 as a whole, the real question that I walk away with is this. Who is my worship really for? Who is my worship really for? Is it just for my own pleasure? Is the end goal just to make me feel better? I'm sorry, but that's not worship. Are we trying to please others? Is it all for appearance sake so other people will look at us? That's not worship either. Or is it simply this? That he is worthy. And that I could offer something that would be accepted in the sight of the Lord. Now that's worship. You know, on May 6th of uh, 2023, you may remember, um, Charles III was crowned King of England in the official coronation ceremony. It was all over the news. It was basically all you could see. Um, Imagine if you were to be granted the honor of an audience with the King or Queen of England. There are certain, believe it or not, there are certain courtesies that you're expected to observe if you get a chance to meet the King of England. Do you know that? You can't just walk in there in a uh, t-shirt and uh, cutoffs um, and just say, hey, what's up? Um, There's actually things that you're supposed to learn how to do properly. Um, uh, For example... Um, as you approach the king and queen, uh, a small head bow uh, for men or a curtsy for women. Uh, and uh, they are to be addressed as your majesty and then subsequently as sir or ma'am with proper English pronunciation. Um, and you are expected to dress for the occasion or you might not be allowed in. Um, now listen. If such things could be expected for King Charles III, simply because of his office, because he's officiated in England since the month of May, how much more is due to the king, creator, and sustainer of all things from the beginning to the end of time? How do we approach God? I'm going to give you this and we're done. How do we approach God? First, on His terms. We approach God on His terms. With no apologies. We do it on His terms. Guess what His terms are? By grace. Through faith. In Christ. By grace, through faith, in Christ. I love that the the terms that he has set are terms that every one of us can meet. How do we approach God? On his terms? 
and with sincerity. With sincerity. Not with vain repetition, not out of obligation, not out of tradition. Simply out of a desire for Him. Out of a desire for Him. Ladies and gentlemen, there is too much fake stuff out there. And God desires for something real. On His terms, with sincerity, and lastly, from a posture of grace. From a posture of grace. What does that mean? It means that we are not on equal ground with God. That's what that means. We do not deserve His mercy and grace. We are not entitled to His mercy and grace. And we must never approach the th- God or the things of God carelessly because He is holy and righteous. And that word holy means set apart. And it means that he stands alone. There is none like him. None. And praise God, that doesn't mean that we have to walk on eggshells every time we do anything to do with God. It doesn't mean we can't smile or laugh or sing or even dance before God. Yes, I said it in a Baptist church. It means we approach Him as our Father. I love how God always picks the perfect word. As our Father. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would you reach down and grab that hymn book in the seat in front of you, underneath? Just grab that hymn book. I want you to look at this. It's hymn number three. Hymn number three. In the third verse of the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Well, how convenient, all those threes. Hymn number three, the third verse of the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Could we just, can I just read this to you? Holy, Holy, Holy. Though the darkness Hide thee, we've been there before, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. Now look here, look here. Only thou art holy. There is none beside thee. Perfect in power, in love. Impurity. Boy, I tell you, those old hymn writers had something going, didn't they? On his terms, with sincerity, and from a posture of grace. Let's bow for prayer tonight. Father God in heaven, our holy God, Lord, as we approach you tonight, I pray that you would hide these truths from your word in our hearts. Teach us how to approach you. Teach us how to abide in your presence. 
Lord, I am so thankful that we live in an age of grace. I am so thankful for your mercy. I am so thankful for your grace. I am so thankful that those stores never dry up because I need them every day. Lord, I pray that you would help us. May our worship be pure. We need these reminders. God, because it's so easy, so easy, living in this world, for us to go a different direction, for our minds to get distracted, and for us to start approaching the things of God like we approach the things of the world. God, I pray that you'd help us to stay in your word and to be a people who are set apart. Lord, I pray that you'd use us in these last days. We love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a great reminder, isn't it? And uh, I love what you said there at the end, John. Who do we worship for and what do we worship for? Do we worship just so we feel better or are we worshiping for something greater than that? Great message tonight, man. Appreciate you preaching for us uh, tonight. We're going to go ahead and go to our prayer time at this time. And uh, Jerry, if you'll hand me one of those, please, sir, that would be great. And uh,